Mike Pence officially becomes vice president as he and Donald Trump take their oaths of office. Eric Holcomb delivers his first State of the State address, that plus a controversial protester's bill and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending January 20th, 2017. Ice Miller is proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. This week, Donald Trump and Mike Pence were sworn in at the Capitol in Washington. I... Michael Richard Pence do solemnly swear. Mike Pence officially became the 48th vice president of the United States, taking the oath of office from Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. A few minutes later, Donald Trump took his oath to become the nation's 45th president. Trump's inaugural address closely echoed his campaign speeches, promising an era of America first. Together, we will make America strong again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And yes, together, we will make America great again. The entire inauguration had a distinctly Hoosier flavor. On the platform were former Vice President Dan Quayle, former Senator Dan Coats, new Governor Eric Holcomb, and of course Vice President Pence and his family. In the inaugural parade were the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Motorcycle Drill Team and the high school marching band from Pence's hometown, Columbus, while hundreds of Hoosiers traveled to Washington for the event. Even if they disagree with Mike Pence politically, should Hoosiers be excited he's the vice president? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Michael Leppert, Republican Robert Fain, John Schwannis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Indiana Public Broadcasting State House reporter Brandon Smith. Michael Leppert, should it matter to Hoosiers of every stripe that the vice president is a fellow Hoosier? Probably not. Uh, there's not. There's not a lot there that comes from the vice president. Uh, I was thinking about uh, some of that earlier today, and I was thinking Kennedy Center tickets, maybe Washington National game, something like that. Uh, but no, I don't, I don't see a lot of com coming back from uh, the vice president's office to Indiana. Um, I did a little bit of checking on um, what we had with uh, Vice President Quayle and couldn't find anything there either. So um, it, it's nice to know the guy. It's nice uh, with the uh, other appointments that will come. Um, in the administration, there are several of those, and, and, and more so, I think, in this case, because um, Donald Trump's not coming from government. So uh, Mike Pence has an administration to draw from and, so, and more experience there. So we're going to know more people out there uh, further down the line, and I think that's a good thing. But uh, in large part, no, there's not much there. There's been a lot of talk about could Mike Pence be one of the most powerful vice presidents ever. We don't normally see a lot coming from the vice president's office to his home state or anywhere, but could we see that change with Mike Pence? Well, sure, especially considering how much Donald Trump has talked about investing in infrastructure. Pair that with Governor Holcomb kind of going the same direction. So the sense that we have the vice president of the United States from Columbus, Indiana, sitting in D.C., is it could be an enormous help to us, and I believe... Mike Pence is the kind of guy who would emphasize Indiana. He would bring Indiana into the conversation when he sits around the tables like, hey, what can we do? It's, it's surreal to see him. It's more surreal to see Donald Trump as president. But it's pretty great to see Mike Pence there. And something else, maybe more political, 
Mike Pence as vice president could be a huge fundraising asset to the Indiana Republican Party and Eric Holcomb if he decides to run again. Uh, we talk about what, what influence might we see Mike Pence have here in Indiana. What influence do you think we'll see in Washington, D.C. coming from Indiana? I think what it probably, well, there would be some policy types of issues. You know, we had the, the um, health care Indiana style with the HIP 2.0 uh, that uh, the Pence administration had advanced, which is similar to the Affordable Care Act. At least it was acceptable ultimately to the federal government, but with a, but with a Republican or a bit of a conservative twist in terms of having some skin in the game, so to speak. Those types of things that, that had been road tested maybe by the Pence administration here Elements. I'm not saying the Affordable Care Act uh, overhaul is one of them, but I mean we might see little vestiges or indications of those policy. But the other bigger and more significant impact would be the Hoosiers who are taken from right. the state house or from other portions of the state to Washington as part of the administration. I mean, it's no secret that you go when you're recruiting a staff and you're filling positions uh, in agencies, you go to the people you know. And guess what? That means he's going to go to Hoosiers. So the bigger and more immediate impact will be the personnel uh, influx, you might say, to D.C. from, from Indiana. And I've been, the lesser, I've been, I've been, lesser I've been, impact would be the, uh, some of these policies. Uh, I've been curious about that idea. Is, is we, we see a lot of, we we're seeing a lot of Hoosiers moving up into that administration, as you would expect. But given the person at the very top, given Donald Trump and how he sort of imports his style and his flavor on everybody who ends up working for him, Will, we, will, it, will it resemble a Hoosier White House in any way? Uh, that's hard to imagine, given the history that you just discussed. Now, it has been interesting to see how in the last six or seven months um, the relationship between Pence and, and Trump have, has, a, has evolved. Uh, but Donald Trump is his own man, and it's hard to imagine uh, the people who are working in the administration being able to uh, change that in a lot of ways because he's going to do what he wants to do. Um, I don't see him taking advice, so I don't know that you're going to have people from anywhere, much less Indiana, being able to uh, bring policy or bring other issues to the White House and being able to shepherd them through, unless it's something that the president already wants to do. But you've already seen a lot. You've seen <clears throat> Marty Obst, unbelievable fundraiser. Yeah, of, Mark Lauder went to him. Josh Pitcott went, as I sit here and represent the too poor to attend the inauguration wing of the Republican <laughs> Party. You've seen a lot of the folks already, and That's I would true. imagine you will see more. Yeah. But the other thing is, is that Indiana, uh, when he was governor, when Pence was governor, he didn't want to accept a bunch of help from the federal government. So uh, I doubt it would be intuitive to him to try and send a bunch of help back. But the people are right, and I think the, the fundra fundraising comment is, is exactly this, right. And this might cause people to fall out of their chairs, uh, but I would say that if you want to know a model for the kind of vice president and the clout that, that Mike Pence might have, Joe Biden. And I say that because you had in, in Barack Obama, even though he came out of the Senate, he'd been in it for what, a grand total of two years, yeah, was two it? Years, yeah. So he didn't, he wasn't a creature of Washington. And when there were these, there were headbutting with, with yeah, Mitch McConnell and others, we've seen that. Mitch hill. McConnell says, but we'd work things out. Joe would come down over to the hill and we'd get it worked out. I could see Especially yeah, with already, some of the anti-establishment well, rhetoric, you're seeing Mike Pence emerge as the one yeah. who can be the quiet deal maker. Time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, given all the controversy surrounding Donald Trump, will Mike Pence become president before the end of 2017? A, yes, or B, no? Last week's question is, I learn a good new name for the state's student assessment. 8% say yes, 10% say no, 
82% say it's not the name that's the problem. If you would like to take part in the poll, go to wfyi.org IWIR and look for the poll. New Governor Eric Holcomb delivered his first State of the State address this week. Holcomb's speech was largely a recitation of his legislative agenda. That includes addressing the state's drug crisis and seeking to generate $1 billion in investment in Indiana companies over the next 10 years. On road funding, Holcomb avoided specifics. When it comes to paying for these projects, I'm open about a menu of options. The fact is existing sources of revenue are just not keeping up. Prior to the governor's address, House Speaker Brian Bosma said he hoped to hear him lead the charge on fuel tax increases to pay for Indiana's roads. And Bosma says Holcomb's remarks weren't quite what he was looking for. Uh, no, he, he's just beginning the discussion, I'm sure. As Senator Long said, he acknowledged that current revenues weren't sufficient to uh, maintain our reputation as the crossroads of America. House Minority Leader Scott Pilath offers a more critical view of Holcomb's lack of specifics on road funding. He is going to send the Republican uh, members of the General Assembly across the minefield, um, see which of them <laughs> see, see, see which of them take some shrapnel and then make the evaluation from there. Robert Vane, did Governor Holcomb leave Republican lawmakers hanging a little bit? No, I don't think so. And actually Matt Tully in a column in the Star, summing up Holcomb's first few weeks on the job, I think hit it right on the head. He's focusing on what's important. The process, the legislative process, which all of you know much better than I do, is going to take some time. Who knows which road that's going to go down? No pun intended. Who knows how these well, things are going to be? Pun intended, no, I just actually. made it up. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's taking a very smart wait and see approach. The one thing people underestimate about Eric Holcomb in his run for the Senate, let alone his run for a governor, he has been throughout the state. So he has quickly learned through talking to Hoosiers, what their most important issues are. And I think that was reflected in his speech. The Holcomb administration has been talking about the, that after the state of the state, after all the ceremonial stuff of the last few weeks, he wants to get on the road and start pitching his agenda to Hoosiers. Does he need to start laying the groundwork, though, a little more firmly for the tax hikes that are almost certainly coming at this point? Well, I, I don't know if he knows what he wants to do yet. I, I've been talking to people for a long time that, uh, you know, his campaign was so short and so abbreviated because of the circumstances, he didn't get to spend three months planning for a transition. And so um, I feel for the administration on that. They've got a lot of work to do just to get everything organized and get all the people in the right places. So um, I, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for him in that regard. Uh, and furthermore, a lot of these early agenda announcements become you know, trial balloons, see what the response is going to be. And, and I was with a group earlier this week of businesses, and, and uh, people have a lot of opinions on how to solve these revenue problems. And I, I would imagine just like, uh, just like Governor Holcomb did when he was traveling the state in campaign mode, he's got a lot of listening to do before he locks himself into a position. So I don't think he threw anybody under the bus. I just think the time is just uh, very compressed for him because of his late entry into the, into the fray here. For Hoosiers listening to that state of the state address, uh, John uh, Katzenberger, do you think they have a good idea of who Eric Holcomb is and what he wants to do? I think they do get a, a sense for it. I mean, you can't, you can't go chapter and verse because you're trying to lay out the big <clears> picture. Um, so I do think that with Eric, you certainly what you see is what you get. I think he's very sincere. I think he's laid out very clearly that he wants to address five areas. He said how he wants to do that in the big picture sense. But I think where he disappointed leadership in the General Assembly is that he didn't come right out and say tax hike. He didn't say we need to raise these revenues so that we can do these things. 
Um, and really, the Republicans have got a problem here because they've reduced the revenue uh, significantly over the state through tax cuts for a long time, and we also have had fairly slow growth. So the revenue levels for the state are not exactly um, terrific, and you do have to raise, if you're going to raise a billion dollars a year additionally for roads, which I think all the people in the legislature kind of agree upon, then you're going to have to raise taxes. And you can't just pussyfoot around that. You have to uh, be straightforward about that. And so I think that the, the Republicans are coming to grips with this, and I think what Brian Bosma's thinking about is that he's got about 30 members of his caucus who have signed Grover, Grover Norquist's pledge never to raise taxes. Right. And so one he's... Of whom, one of whom, by the way, the Ways and Means chairman. Yeah, and so, you know, he's worried about how this is going to play, and he's worried about making sure that his whole caucus, um, or as, as much of it as he can, uh, comes forward for the roads program. So I think... Um, uh, the speaker's looking a little further down the road, yeah. and I think he was hoping that Eric Holcomb would help him a little bit more than he did. Uh, maybe he talked about the legislative process, and there's still a long way to go, and even Brian Bosma said that. This is exactly. just the beginning. But will we need to see Eric Holcomb being a little more out there on we need to, to raise these taxes or create these fees before the end of session? Uh, I don't think he necessarily would have a choice. I think it would be thrust on him. As he's traveling the state, uh, and as you mentioned a moment ago, guess what? He will encounter constituents and media outlets that probably pose the question, Governor, this is what they're doing in Indianapolis. Where do you stand on that? So, and again, it's not as if he has uh, distanced himself completely. I mean, he has no, effectively endorsed the, the notion yeah. that, that all of the tax proposals, even the cigarette tax proposal, buck fifty a, a pack, would, are, are on the table. So uh, I think he will come around to it. Uh, and again, we talked about this last week. With both the inaugural address and the state of the state, he's basically kind of saying, we're going to create the government that works. There's not a lot of ideology. Uh, there's not a lot of red meat in the sense that, you know, let's rally the base to antagonize here and attack there, which actually is a fairly stark contrast to what we saw this week in Washington with the inaugural address. Um, with Eric Holcomb, it, it's it's we're going to make it work. We're going to do some unsexy, if that's a word, things uh, like we like that. we talked about. Sexy. And um, and the other thing that's refreshing and is I think runs against the grain for a lot of politics now is looking ahead uh, a decade, two decades. Right. Nobody looks at. I mean, this is the instant gratification era in which we live, and most people say, well, we'll deliver that by the end of the quarter, or certainly the biennium. No one's so to his credit, that's a good thing. And I think that you know the irony here is that people in Indiana generally believe that if you're going to use the roads, we'll pay more taxes. So if there's a tax to sell or raise, um, the gasoline tax, for instance, is one that I think they won't have a, a lot of trouble with. Controversy erupted this week over a bill aimed at protesters who block traffic. A Senate panel had an abbreviated hearing for a bill from Republican Jim Toms that would require police to respond within 15 minutes to protesters blocking a roadway and remove those protesters using, quote, any means necessary. That language has raised serious concerns. Tom says he's worried protests, like one members of the Black Lives Matter movement held on California freeways last summer, can obstruct ambulances and inconvenience drivers. He says protesters need permits so cities can plan detours. After allowing Toms to introduce the bill, Senate Committee Chair Jim Buck only took testimony from one group, the Hoosier State Press Association, before withdrawing the bill, saying it would either be fixed or killed. John Katzenberger, on its face, is this bill problematic? 
Uh, well, it's likely unconstitutional. So, yeah, I think the answer is yes, it is problematic. Um, I understand the concern expressed, um, and it's dangerous even for the protesters in, in a situation where you're blocking a you know a road. Um, but I think that uh, you know there are. It's really a difficult thing to try to legislate, and I, I think that the chairman recognizes that. Um, you know, we'll see a lot of bills that try to address very specific problems, um, and this is one. Although this is this is very difficult, given that um, you know, you're trying to impinge freedom of expression and freedom rights. Um, it's just it's it's not going to happen. Chairman, yeah, Chairman Jim Buck said either we're going to fix it or we're going to kill it. Is it going to be a fix or a kill? Uh, they could mean the same thing. Uh, <laughs> we fix it politically by getting rid of this issue uh, where it will never be heard from again, at least this session. I, I, for all the reasons uh, John has articulated, it's, I think people would say the last thing we read, need right now is focus on something that isn't on our agenda, that isn't anything related to the things we just talked about, spent the last 10 minutes, for instance, talking yeah. about with infrastructure improvements and funding issues and tax increases and so forth only to have it end up in court and cost the state money to defend what arguably is an unconstitutional measure. Uh, and plus you do wonder, I, I don't want to get inside anybody's head, but there have been other sides of the political aisle or the political spectrum that have used crowds and blockade tactics to prevent people that has been the state admission from getting, let's yeah. say, around reproductive uh, women's clinics and so forth. Would there be that, that reckless uh, abandon to get to the women's clinic and get the uh, people who are blocking access for women who are seeking The double-edged sword kind of thing if you're well, a Republican? Well, I mean, if, if they're, they're, I, I'll leave it for what it is. But, I mean, they're all blockades and all crowds. Yeah. Uh, they, it's not just one side of the political spectrum that, that can hold things up. <laughs> we, he's doing them a favor. <laughs> they ought to pass that bill as someone who does PR for a living because no matter where you are on the issues... People being blocked from going home, going to work, going to dinner, you know. What about I just plenty, said, plenty, How's that going to play with, they, with abortion they are, they are, from a PR perspective, in my opinion, destroying part of their own cause by flooding these streets and preventing people, ordinary people, just trying to pick up their kids from school, just trying to go from, to dinner, from doing going about their day. I was them, if I were them, I would definitely say, you may want to think about a different tactic. So this is probably dead. I defer to you guys. But every time I see, no matter who's protesting, a leftist cause, a right-wing cause, and they're blocking ordinary folks from just going about their day, I shake my head and go, you are losing more people with that horrible image than you can possibly gain. Uh, blocking Jeff the traffic, though, I mean, it's a typical Friday in my life. I mean, when you live in the, when you live in the I mean, cities, you know, <laughs> the, the Constitution is to protect those protests. But uh, I've got a whole long list of things that I would want to put into a bill that would uh, ease traffic in, uh, in the protesting part. Wouldn't really be one of them. It was revealed this week that former Governor Mike Pence denied an emergency disaster relief request from East Chicago. The Calumet neighborhood of East Chicago has lead and arsenic contamination in its soil at 200 times the legal limit. The Pence administration in a December letter wrote an emergency declaration was unnecessary because the situation, quote, will continue to be addressed. The state has provided staffing resources and $200,000 for housing and public health assistance. East Chicago officials say they'll turn to new Governor Holcomb with this same request. So far, Holcomb hasn't indicated what he'll do. John Schwannis, is this a bad look? for the now former governor. Well, I don't think he wants to run for office in West Calumet, certainly. <laughs> uh, it, but 
I would look at it a little differently. I think from if you want to be really crass and just look at things in the cold political prism, it probably is the only thing he could do because generally governors uh, will declare emergencies when there's a natural disaster. It, no human caused this tornado or this hurricane or this earthquake. Clearly, this is a man-made problem, and it's on a touchy subject like environmental issues, environmental protection. So if he had declared this, think about it. The, when you have the proposed EPA chief who's undergoing a grilling uh, before the U.S. Senate, maybe gets confirmed, maybe not, but clearly environmental regulation and the future of environmental regulation is a front-burner issue right now. To have a Republican governor, governor acknowledge that, gee, sometimes polluters do screw up. Maybe we, that seems to run counter to the notion that there's overregulation, and maybe I'm overthinking it, but I think it's yeah. not as cut and dried as just pleasing people in northern Indiana. This letter uh, from the Pence administration came out in mid-December, and eChicago told everybody about it this week. What was East Chicago thinking? Well, I don't know. That's the question for me. Um, if there is an issue here, why didn't East Chicago just release the letter when they got it on December 14th or 15th? Um, I wonder whether East Chicago is being sincere when it says it's already done everything it can do or if it's failed to do something to help itself and it's trying to keep that under wraps. Um, all of that said... Um, nobody's covered in glory with this situation. You've had people who are living here in a contaminated area for too long, and it seems like from the outside that there's been a lot of inactivity. Uh, and I think that um, it would have been nice had the state stepped in and said, okay, who's responsible for this? Let's hold them accountable. And in the meantime, let's mitigate the problem that we have and marshal the efforts of all of the levels of government. That didn't happen. So I think that, that um, you know, nobody here is um, going to receive any prizes for the way they've handled this, but I don't think that the governor is the only one that should, you know, bear the brunt. Would have been nice. Would have been nice. I mean, this has been an emergency for a long time. Uh, we've had all, all of, most of 2016 during the campaign uh, an acknowledgement by the, the um, Housing and Urban Development Agency and the EPA, everybody that's involved in there has has uh, uh, documented in, in, in detail about what the problem is. We've had a school closure. We have a housing complex with over 1,200 people, most of, uh, most of whom are children living there that need to be relocated. And the state of Indiana is sitting on a $2.25 billion surplus, and they've devoted $200,000 and a few staff to this problem. Um, it's, you know, I don't even know what the word is to describe that. You know, if we're going to have a rainy day fund, it's raining in East Chicago, and it has been raining for a long time, and, and this letter is just the latest in a long list of, of offensive things, really, in response to a contamination problem up there that resulted from the better part of a century of economic uh, productivity that, that resulted in this contamination that the state enjoyed. East Chicago. So uh, they need to do something, and, and this isn't good enough. East Chicago officials say that they're going to try again now with, with uh, a new governor, with Governor Holcomb. Should this be a no-brainer for Governor Holcomb? Should this be, yes, we're going to give you this declaration so that we can do whatever we can? Well, given his travels, I'm sure he's probably very well versed and has talked to folks up there. They should certainly try to get as much aid as they possibly can. I'm more with the Johns than Mike on this, but look, if we have these sort of funds, I mean, Mike makes a good point. You know, why not spend it on a, on a, on a community that, that needs it? And I, I guarantee you, Governor Holcomb will take a long look at this request. And, and he has an easier, he doesn't have the political challenge right. here. You He's the guy who wants to make government work. Right. But again, I don't know how, if you're Mike Pence, you can acknowledge a, an environmental crisis in your state at the same time 
your administration is saying that regulation is overbearing and is unnecessary in many cases. I mean, it's, there's, yeah, it's hard to argue make, both you points. You make a good point, but I think Mike's point, uh, the most powerful point that Mike's make, made in a, in a good argument is the economic productivity that was gained from all those years of the, of the, you know, the plants that were there. And, you know, the state uh, regulations can be seen as onerous, but the other side of it is they need to be responsible for what happens. I'm not and saying I think I'm not that that's what the I would most do powerful argument. No, no, I'm, I'm just saying, saying that I'm not attacking your position, but I'm saying that I think that of all of the arguments made about this, other than the fact that it should be done because it's the right thing, the economic imperative is right. a good one. Finally, as is tradition, President Obama left a letter for his successor, Donald Trump, as he left the Oval Office for the final time. If Indiana had a similar tradition, what would Mike Pence have written in his letter to Eric Holcomb, Robert Fain? Travel. Get out of the State House. Get out of Indianapolis. I mean, and I think that will come naturally to Governor Holcomb. I mean, he traveled on, you know, RV1 with Mitch Daniels, and then he did all the work in the Daniels administration, ran for Senate. He was uh, Dan Coates's uh, state director, yeah. Senator Coates's. I mean, that's what I would imagine that Mike Pence would say to Eric Holcomb. Michael Leppert. Uh, I would hope he would say and take the advice that Governor Daniels gave uh, to both candidates before the election and, and to keep searching for unusual talent uh, for his administration. I think that that will, uh, will give him a lot, of, uh, a lot of momentum that maybe uh, his predecessor didn't have. So that's the thing I would Very quickly, say. John. Same line. You're not in this alone. Drawn people. Feel free to call me for those Nationals tickets and the Kennedy Center ticket <laughs> that you mentioned earlier, Michael, uh, since he's the pipeline now. That's uh, Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Michael Leppert, Republican Robert Vane, John Schwannis of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash iwir, or starting Monday, you can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity. I'm Brandon Smith of Indiana Public Broadcasting. Join us next time, because a lot can happen in an Indiana week. Ice Miller is proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.